everyone, and welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys Podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, your humble host, and with me, of course, the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and joining us from Boston, Tim Williams. Gentlemen, uh, yesterday, I had an opportunity to chat with uh, Tony Romo, who uh, formerly is a Dallas Cowboy quarterback, and now is the new um, lead analyst for the NFL on CBS, replacing Phil Simms. Um, it's a that's a pretty big jump from the sidelines to the broadcast booth. But you know, Sean McManus at uh, CBS thinks that Tony's the guy. And uh, I'm going to go with you, Mr. Kaufman. Your thoughts on on Tony Romo as the lead analyst for CBS Sports? Gentlemen, this story has more wrinkles than some of my old sweaters. And <laughs> Henderson knows what that means. Uh, it's not a pretty sight. Let me start at the top. This is the most overhyped story I've seen in about three years. Uh, if this guy played for the Vikings uh, or the Titans, uh, you know, it, it would be mentioned on SportsCenter at, at 825. Right. Uh, instead, uh, you know, it, it led over the NCAA championship game yesterday. Uh, that shows you the brand that Jerry has built in Dallas, and that's why Jerry is going to Canton this year, and I don't know whether that's fair or not, uh, but he certainly exerts a, a powerful influence on, on the NFL. As far as Romo's concerned, guys, he says it's 99% sure that he's done. To me, that means he's 9% sure that he's done. Uh, I don't think this is going to last, and I'll turn it over to my boys here, but with a final thought. Um, is this the world of television sportscasting, gentlemen? You go in, you no audition, no resume, and Phil Sims, you're out, and all of a sudden you're number one. What, what, what's going on here with these broadcasters? I hear, uh, I hear that Romo narrowly beat out Henderson for this job, uh, Jimmy. <laughs> Well, let's um, see, um, Joe. Yeah. Joe, when you were at uh, Sean McManus's office at BlackRock there in CBS, um, what uh, what did he tell you? Well, uh, I, I want to correct a misconception. He didn't beat me out for it. I I pulled out. Okay. Oh, okay. Uh, Fair uh, enough. Fair the, enough. The offer was not substantial enough, and I told Sean no. <laughs> no. Um, it, come on, Ira. You know TV and. You know, Tony Romo is, is is the hot guy right now. And all right, so so he bumps Phil Sims. Uh, wah. <laughs> I could, you know, he'll he'll do fine. I, uh, I hope, really. I hope he's better than Aikman, Joe. I hope he's better than Aikman because I'm not an Aikman. Fan. I like Aikman. I don't Are like you kidding it. me? Come on. Man, I, man, Aikman's uh, terrific. What's wrong with you? Come on, Tim. Tim. <laughs> Tim, you got to back me up on this. Aikman is famous for when the team's losing 24-14. They get the ball with six minutes left, and Aikman says, I think this is a big drive coming up for the Eagles. Shut the hell up, <laughs> uh, Aikman. Come on. Yeah. Ira, you are, you, you, are so, you are so I'm, incredibly wrong. It's I'm feisty even... today, Jim. Jim, I'm feisty today. Okay. It seems that way, doesn't it? Um all right, continue, Mr. Henderson. Continue. No, I, I just, I'm, I'm still trying to process what you said about Aikman. That, 
I don't know that I can go on. Um, no, it's, it's first off, let's let let's get down to brass tacks here. Tony Romo made a smart call in walking away while he can still walk, and I think he probably was was astute enough to size up the market. Uh, that was interested in his services and see that it basically came down to Pearl River Community College. And he he has earned the right to leave on his own terms, if you will. Um, but I think you and I talked about this yesterday, Ira, uh, and you just alluded to it, that if he was the quarterback for your Kansas City Chiefs or – uh, for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, would anybody care? And the answer is no. So there you go. Um, you know, for a guy who never won a Super Bowl, uh, really put up respectable numbers, but not, you know, will never be considered in that uh, Hall of Fame class, right? I, you're the you're the Hall of Fame voter. Well, is well, Tony Romo a Hall of Famer? No, I, I got um, I got a couple of emails about that, and uh, the consensus seems to be he's short, guys. He's short. I well, got a couple numbers go. in that. I, got numbers, I'll, Tim. I'll give got you a quick. Numbers. I'll give you a quick player comparison. Just name three players in a set of stats. Player A, twenty-eight hundred seventy-four completions against forty-seven hundred seventy-nine attempts. That's sixty point one percent of his passes he completed. 35,467 total yards, 237 touchdowns, 175 picks. Player B, 2,829 completions out of 4,335 4, attempts, that's 65.3%. 34,183 yards, 248 touchdowns, and 117 interceptions. One of these players is Tony Rome, the other's in the Hall of Fame. Player A was Jim Tim. Kelly. Not bad, Tim. Um, now, Kelly went to four straight Super Bowls, Tim. He did. Yes, he did. He was on some great teams, and that's a team sport. He was on. He right. got to play with Bruce Smith. He got to play with Thurman Thomas. Hey, Tim. Of they got to receivers. Tim, quick question. Were those numbers that you – Quoted on uh, Romo against the uh, Redskins. <laughs> uh, you know, maybe I maybe I compare him to Philip Rivers, Joe. Philip Rivers, um, you know, uh, except Rivers a lot more durable than Romo. But to say Romo hasn't had talent around him, I I, I don't buy that. Um, I'm, I'm not buying that argument. No, absolutely not. And you know. Case closed. Jim Kelly, as Ira noted, went to four Super Bowls and didn't win any of them, but uh, he was there. And uh, there's more. You can't reduce Hall of Fame to just numbers. It's kind of, does it pass the eye test? I'm a big one on the eye test. And facing that with John Lynch, uh, Joe, the numbers. Absolutely. Absolutely. And. I'm sorry, Tony Roma was a fine quarterback for a long time, but he does not pass the eye test to be in the Hall of Fame. I'm uh, with you, yeah. I'm with you, Joe. I think that um, that Romo was. I mean, God knows I saw him enough, um, and 
I just, you know, no. I mean, he's uh, he certainly looked like a Hall of Famer against Washington a number of times, but uh, no, no, he's. Um, I don't know. I, I I would vote if I had a vote. Uh, you know, Ira, you brought up Philip Rivers. I'd vote for Philip Rivers. You know, a hell of a lot faster, and I'd vote for Tony Romo. Jim, doesn't this show you again the power of the brand uh, in Dallas? I mean, sure. Very. You know, I I think they're the most. Um, I think they're worth the most of any franchise in sports, including, you know, uh, European soccer. Uh, Manchester United. I think Dallas is number one. Yeah. So say what say what you want about Jerry Jones. You know, he's going in the Hall of Fame this summer. Um, they haven't they haven't done anything in more than two decades on the field, Jim. But right. it's the Cowboys. And right. anytime it's the Cowboys, it, it's big news. Big. Absolutely. One quick um, note for those of you paying attention to the Sunshine Boys podcast, as well you should. Um, Romo made it clear that there was an agreement, financial agreement, between him and Jerry Jones that would preclude him from playing football anytime soon. So read into that what you will. Has he been talking to Brett Favre or what? What's going on there? You wonder if Jerry would stand uh, in his way. Um, you know, maybe if it was an AFC team, would Jerry really, you know, would he invoke that clause if Romo wanted to come back? Well, Romo, Romo still had money in his contract. And so my guess is that Jerry gave him some of that money um, and helped broker the deal to CBS in lieu of um, him going to Houston or someplace else to play. Because, you know, Jerry had to give him you know, his release, and technically he had to retire before he could accept the job at CBS. No, he's not going to get the benefit of a learning curve, guys. You know, John Lynch, Joe and I know, you know, the first year, John Lynch wasn't that good on Fox, as expected. But he, he sure got better every year where – you know, sorry, Joe. I, I thought he should have been on the number one team uh, at, at this point, but uh, you know, Aikman is blocking his way. Uh, Rondé Barber getting better, better every year. But Jim R- Romo's better, better be good right, right out of the gun, and I'm not sure that's fair to Romo. Well, I mean, one thing that we know about television critics is that they are not kind, and. Um, he will be eviscerated if he isn't good. And there's a lot of people out there, myself being one of them, who, you know, say what you will about him. Phil Sims, to me, has always been one of the, you know, one of the most straightforward, easy to talk to guys and boils things down. You may not like him necessarily as a person. Uh, I find him to be a very easy person to talk to and someone over the years I've appreciated uh, his abilities and I thought he and Nance worked together quite well. I think that sometimes you get announcers that are still feeling they're finding their way and that can almost add to the entertainment. I don't know a lot of people who won't watch a game because of someone in particular calling it but I know that a lot of conversations can be struck up around people who, for example, aren't big fans of Troy Aikman, just just in in case you thought that might not be something that exists. There are people who don't like Troy Aikman out there. They're allowed to be wrong. Yeah. And, and <laughs> that can create a conversation. I certainly 
a lot of my friends can't stand Joe Buck as an announcer, and he announces everything. So that will be a conversation they strike up during the game. But I don't know anyone who will turn off the game because he's calling it. And I think that kind of adds to the way we take it in. In in a way, an announcer that might not be all the way you know ready yet, like Tony Romo just walking off the field into a booth, might be a lot of fun. Not necessarily for Tony Romo, but for a lot of people who, well, maybe kind of want to make a joke or two about Tony Romo. Jim, have you heard this crazy rumor about Sims that he? Uh... I know this is a PG-rated program, gentlemen, but uh, the rumor is that the PG should stand for passing gas in the broadcast booth deliberately to throw Nance off his game. Have, have you guys heard about this? It's, it's kind of going around. That's, that's Would you get that off Breitbart? Where did where'd that come from? <laughs> uh, I think Steve, Steve Bannon is pushing that one. Yeah, that, 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 I, no, uh, I have not <laughs> <laughs> that that I've not heard. Um, you know, I know that I'll be honest with you, and we all know press box food isn't the best, but I'm not so sure that uh, that uh, his gastric issues uh, are something that the reason he's not in the broadcast booth. Although, you know, Ira could be the case. Uh, although, you know, Jimmy Nance is a pretty tolerable person. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. That's that one I didn't hear. But but it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm I like just, it. Um, I'm not convinced. Uh... I'm not convinced Romo's not returning to the field, guys. I'm just not convinced of it. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to process what's going on in the broadcast booth there after that imagery Ira uh, gave us. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Joseph. Thank you. I think uh, we just careened down the uh, side of the mountain in a fireball on that one. But <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait till you hear the rumor about Aikman. No, no, forget that. Forget no, that. Keep no. Keep going. But uh, you're going to see Troy yeah. during the season. You better be careful. I do. You're yeah, right. really. Uh, but here's the point. Yeah. We're not asking Tony Romo to be the leader of the free world or even governor of Texas, although it might be an improvement. Um, In either case. We're asking, we're asking him to tell us what's happening on the football field. And he won't do the play-by-play. That'll be Jim Nance. And Jim Dance will look at him and go, all right, Tony, what do you think of that play? Well, I think they should have done this. Okay, thank you. He'll learn to speak in sound bites, which is what those guys have to do. And he's engaging. He's pleasant. He's smart. He'll do fine. It's football, guys. It is not, you know, high holy church here. It's football. He, got, well, he knows football. Yeah. There's a guy Did you, you guys know. There's a guy you guys know. I'd like to get your take on this. Um, Mr. Gruden walked off the sidelines into the broadcast booth on Monday Night Football. Yes, he did, and he is excellent. And and every, and, year, the, and every year the rumors start anew that he's going back uh, to the sidelines every year. Every, almost, you know. Well, John does feel every, the need. He he feels the need to be loved, but uh, <laughs> you know the. Um, the truth is, he's he was a he was a terrific football coach. We know that he um, would have been better off if he could have kept quiet uh, about Rich McKay and learned to work with him instead of uh, what transpired there. I think he would have a couple of more Super Bowl rings by now. But be that as it may, um, 
he's he's in a very good place right now. He's making more money and he knows how to count and he's undefeated for how many years now since he left the Bucks. So he's you know, the gym, but he but he's got a great job and he and he knows it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus I mean, he gets a bump pretty much every year. Uh he does he's getting more and more engaged in um in the NFL projects on ESPN, and so you know, he's one of the few uh, faces of ESPN, uh, uh, Jim, that uh, don't have to worry uh, right now about losing their job, right? He's not going that, anywhere. That would, no, he's not going anywhere. He's he's a pretty safe bet. Um, so yeah, he he's he's gone, and uh, you know, Joe John went into the deal, and um, and it seemed to be he seemed to be a natural. Uh, I you know look. In talking to Sean McManus, yeah, uh, Sean said that uh, when he began to think about Romo was at um, Super Bowl Forty Eight, when the two sat down and chatted about you know uh, the game. Uh, he thought he said basically it was kind of an icebreaker. He said to Tony, "What do you think is going to happen?" And twenty minutes later, Tony's still talking. So. Um, you know, Sean was impressed at that point. I, I will say this, okay, guys. When you are someone in the position of Sean McManus at CBS Sports or John Skipper, for instance, at ESPN with John Gruden, um, the investment you make and the time you take in, in, in bringing these broadcasters on, CBS, in my mind, is not going to blow up the lead booth you know drop sims and add romo if the idea is romo's going to be a one time you know one year replacement until he gets another football gig Um, there has to be some serious conversation about it before you take that job i know espn was very keen on making sure how you know we're um, John Gruden's temperature was with regard to returning to coaching before they signed him to a deal because, man, there's a lot of money riding on that A game for CBS week in and week out. And the same thing for ESPN's Monday Night Football. To invest in a broadcaster or an analyst or whomever for one year or two years, man, that's that's just that's not a good plan. Well, the interesting thing about um, all of this is kind of comes back to Phil Simms, because it's been obvious that CBS really um, has kind of had their eye on this move for a while now. Remember um, when uh, Peyton Manning walked Mm -hmm. away uh, from the sidelines? It was all over the place that they wanted him to replace Phil Simms. Mm-hmm. Then the Romo, so now you got Romo, and uh, I doubt that this was made on a whim. You know, maybe they moved fast when they saw that Romo was available, but they, well, they clearly. Talk- had- yeah, they. I'm sorry, I was just going to say they they've been talking to Tony on and off for a couple of years about what he's going right. to do when he re- retires, and the conversation. You know, to your point, Joe, and I'll let you finish your point, but to your point. Um, the conversation with Romo on this particular situation began literally uh, a day, two days, three days tops after 
the regular season ended. Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, and that that kind of goes to the point that this was as much about replacing Phil Sims as it was hiring Tony Romo. And, you know, uh, in football par- parlance, you know, they, they, the, the uh, network saw uh, an opening in the defense and went for it and, and got the, uh, you know, called the quick strike there and got, got their man. But if it hadn't been Romo replacing Sims, it would have been somebody else. Ira, it could have been you, but uh, they clearly were out there gunning to replace this guy as uh, on the A group. And so now Phil Sims has to reassess, like, what do I do? You know, where do I go from here? He can still make a pretty comfortable living doing this, uh, but he may, uh, you know, he's going to wind up on second tier games now. And that's, you know, wham, that's the way it goes. No, part, Jim, part of the fallout from this story is uh, a lot mm-hmm. of disgruntled fans in cities like Denver uh, and Houston. Um, you know, maybe Jerry was waiting to be bowled over by an offer for Romo uh, before CBS made its move. Um, you know, you could trade him to the AFC. You don't have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. Romo in a pretty good situation in either of those cities because Denver's got a very good defense, and I think Houston, we'd all agree, if J.J. Watt comes back, they, they could have a, a heck of a defense. And um, it never happened. So those two teams are still going to try to slug their way to Minneapolis next February w- without, you know, much quality un- under center And uh, as Romo floats off into the uh, TV booth. Mm-hmm. I would also like to know uh, a little bit more details about Romo's physical condition. Uh, it must have been, I, I, and this is just idle speculation on my part, mm-hmm. but for him to look at the marketplace and say, you know, Ira, you know, all these guys think they can play forever, right? But you see more and more players today starting to put their health first. You see guys who've only been in the league just a couple of years walking away because they're scared of of concussions or that they have other physical issues. And I'll bet you that in consultation with uh, doctors and, and certainly with his family and everybody else that, that he finally decided on his own, look, I'm doing this. I'm walking away. So I don't think he will be back. Uh, I think he, he's kind of uh, had the, the, the benefit of time and space to look at his situation honestly. He's been hurt a lot lately. And right now he's he's still a fairly young man. Uh, I'm sure he's looking at being like 60, 65 years old and saying, you know, I'd like to be able to play golf. I'd like to be able to to be out and around. And I'm I am one uh face plant from JJ Watt from from being unable to do that. And I just, you know, I've had enough. It's time to go into the booth. The money's great. And I feel better on Monday morning uh, after it. And for that reason, I thought it was a great decision because of that. I, I think he would have been in a very difficult position had he gone to Houston or Denver, where 
suddenly everything's riding on Tony Romo playing 16 games and being the guy he was before all those injuries a couple of years ago. And then he showed a little bit of flash of what he can be last year when he played an extremely limited action, but he hardly played at all. So to come into that situation and you have to be a Super Bowl quarterback when you've been on some good teams before and you haven't been, and if he so much as got hurt, it would have derailed a team's season. That's a tough position to be in as opposed to sitting in a climate condition booth above the field and getting the comment on it. And as Joe mentioned, not getting hit by the J.J. Watts of the world. And, you know, I think Jim knows health concerns. Well, good points by, by the guys. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe that also played in a big role in the interest shown by Denver and Houston towards Romo because, you know, are we really going to give up, you know, a couple of second-round picks for a guy who's proven to be brittle? Um, if, if there weren't health concerns about him, I, I think uh, the deal would have already been made uh, mm-hmm. for Romo. He'd be in a different uniform. Uh, Jerry would be happy uh, that he made Romo happy. Mm-hmm. And um, and Dallas would have a couple extra draft picks. So the health concerns uh, affected this thing all the way around, no question about it. I think you're right. Hey, let me ask Ira, you and Joe and Tim a question about um, who are some of the guys that you're covering now, that are playing now, that you think are naturals to um, enter broadcasting once uh, they do decide to hang it up? Ira, got any people out there you think is going to do it? Well, uh, you talking the NFL strictly? Uh, uh, no, you can – whatever you want. Pick a sport. Right. People you know, well, people you um, cover. Uh, I got Stephen Stamkos over at the Lightning, and Joe can vouch for this. Mm-hmm. Um, he's developed into a heck of a leader, a heck of a spokesman. Mm-hmm. Um, he handled himself very well during those delicate contract talks last year. Mm-hmm. He, uh, he's gone through injuries, he, he, and he knows what to say. Um, and he's very eloquent also, smart kid. Uh, he's gone through some very tough times here, but he's a top 10 player in this league uh, mm-hmm. when healthy. And, uh, Joe, I, I, I think Stamkos, um, you know, he's not going to get the ratings that uh, Tony Romo's going to get on, on AFC broadcast, but uh, I, I could see Stamkos going into broadcasting and doing very well. Yeah, I, that, I hadn't thought of him, but that that's a good pick. And, I'll throw another uh, name maybe you, you, you wouldn't automatically think about, but um, and from baseball, Evan Longoria uh, is, is very well-spoken, and um, he understands the game of baseball better. He's able to articulate it better than, than most uh, guys I ran across, so if um, if he were to show up later uh, in the booth when his playing days are done, that that would not surprise me. And he's not long-winded, Joe. Right? He gets right to the point. He does. Gets right to the point, and you know he's not afraid to speak his mind. Uh, we know that, and uh, that's that's a valuable trade in the broadcast booth, and uh, certainly would have the name recognition. So that'd be a guy uh, just off the top of my head that I would look at and say, yeah, that's. That would be somebody that uh, could make that leap. I can't speak from experience. I didn't speak to him in person. I 
maybe maybe Joe or Ira you have, but David Price also seems to me like someone who could go into broadcasting. He's very outspoken. He's he's not a dumb guy. He's a pretty smart guy. He's not afraid to speak his mind, and he has a bit of a sense of humor. I could imagine him going into broadcasting after his playing days are done. Tim, could, uh, could Ortiz make the transition? If Pedro Martinez can, Ortiz can, and he's he's a very funny guy. He's great to hear in the booth. I'm sure he'll show up on local broadcasts on the New England Sports Network a lot, and they're kind of blessed over there. They have Dennis Eckersley doing games too, so so that can always be a lot of fun. I think putting them together would be a lot of fun in a pregame show because they're both very outspoken. You know, uh, a guy who hasn't been mentioned but has already shown tremendous aptitude from the bay area anyway chris archer oh, oh yeah oh yeah That's he good. did a wonderful job a couple of years ago um you know world series coverage um for mlb network and a couple other places espn radio had him um chris is um again someone you guys know better than i but chris is somebody who uh, absolutely um very articulate, funny, and uh, just seemed to be a natural and uh, had no yeah, trouble sitting there thinker, talking. Jim. Yeah, Jim, he's a thinker. Sometimes that gets him in trouble. I think he overthinks on the mound a little bit. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> you know, Jim, one thing, that, one thing that Henderson and I have talked about over the years, I think Joe's probably written a column on it for the, for the Tribune, mm-hmm. um, is, um, Jim, the inordinate, and I use that word specifically, mm-hmm. the inordinate number of former Buccaneers that ended up being broadcasters, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Joe knows the list, and it's a long one. Um, mm-hmm. And for a team whose history isn't very good, uh, I think they still have the worst winning percentage uh, of any franchise in the NFL. Uh, when, you know, when you start in 1976, mm-hmm. um, boy, they they sure turn them out in the booth, don't they, Joe? They got a lot to tell. Yeah, they about. really do. Well. Mm-hmm. You go back to the to the great Buck teams, you know mm-hmm. the the Super Bowl era teams, and they were just overflowing with personalities. Uh, you, their locker room back then was just you, you went in there. Uh, didn't matter where you stopped, you were going to run into an interesting player with with something to say, and uh, the. Uh, Warren Sapp actually could have been the best of all of them if he could have just controlled other parts of his personality. But uh, he kept, you know, he he couldn't couldn't do that. But he was I, Ira. You we both felt his wrath, but um, he could be when he would would kind of cut the shtick and and really get down to to brass tacks. He could be as insightful as any player I ever dealt with, and um, it's it's kind of unfortunate for him that uh, he let other parts of his personality override that because uh, he should be right up in there with all of them. Um, and you meant we've mentioned John Lynch, great great strides he made, uh, Rondé Barber of course, um, and John Gruden and Tony Dungy. So there you go. And Dilfer. And Dilfer, you know, it, it never Oh, stops. yeah. Dilfer, sure. Well, you know, the other thing, too, guys, um, is the state of Florida is well represented uh, from 
the colleges. Miami, of course, there's a ton of guys that uh, are in uh, doing, uh, you know, doing both NFL and, and NCAA stuff. You've got former Gators. You got former Seminoles. They're all over the place. Got Collinsworth, who I think um, I think he's as good as anybody. Tim, Tim Chris Collinsworth, um, very sharp. Oh yeah, Chris Collinsworth's one of the best. And speaking of college football analysts and former Buccaneers, Booger McFarland. Oh, also, yeah. you see him out there covering SEC football. You know, you mentioned Collinsworth, the uh, obviously the Gator and the pride of Titusville Astronaut High School. That. <laughs> um, I remember specifically something that, that I thought was, was really funny. We were joking in the office one day back when he was still playing with the Bengals mm-hmm. that every story that came across about the Bengals, it was almost obligatory that you have a Collinsworth quote. And there was some reason that he was hurt one week and couldn't play or something. I remember joking with one of the guys that you watch the story will still lead with a Chris Collinsworth quote. And sure enough, the story comes across as Chris Collinsworth didn't play today, but he had this to say about the Bengals game. (laughs) And it was just, it was hilarious. But you went to him because he would give you uh, the straight dope. And he, he didn't feel, there was one time, this true story, when he was with the Gators Mm -hmm. and Doug Dickey's job, the coach at the time was hanging by a thread and uh, they went to Tallahassee and uh, to play the Seminoles last game of the season and got beat. And that seemed to – everybody knew this was going to kind of be the end for uh, Doug Dickey. I remember going in the locker room, and I was the first and for a long time the only reporter in there. And, you know, these 60-something players all turn around. They're mad that they've lost the game, they're, they're upset. And now here I am walking in to the locker room and they're all staring at me like, don't come by my locker, don't you do it. And um, so I, I focus on the one friendly face in the room, Chris Collinsworth. And I immediately go to him and ask him what he thought about what happened. And he gave a quote that absolutely, I think, doomed Doug Dickey. He basically, uh, I can't remember it exactly, but it was essentially, uh, we were not prepared for this game. And it's like, I go back upstairs and, and I write it. You know, we were, I think we were the only paper that had that quote. And I remember thinking, well, that's it for Doug Dickey. And they did fire him the next day. And, and Collinsworth's quote was widely cited as uh, kind of the final nail in the coffin. So. Even back then, he spoke his mind. Two things I want to ask you real quick, Joe, about um, that time, okay? Um, mm-hmm. Shanahan was the offensive coordinator there. Was it, it you know, part, yeah, part of the myth, or I don't know if it's true, but Chris told me one time that it was Shanahan that moved him from quarterback to wide receiver. Is that was it Dickey or was it Shanahan that did it? Well, uh, I believe if 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 Dickey wants to claim credit for it, it's because Shanahan suggested it um, pointedly, and it obviously was the correct move. Chris wasn't as a college level quarterback; he was he was not there. But 
incredible athlete. You know, a lot of, not a lot of people remember this, but as a senior at Titusville Astronaut High School, he was the state 100-yard dash champion mm-hmm. because I covered that race and saw it. And he, um, his signing with Florida was, was uh, you remember, Jim, is massive news. It was a big oh, yeah. deal. Chris, yeah. Chris Collinsworth's going to be a Gator. And then they saw him play quarterback up there, and they went, Chris Collinsworth's a Gator. Great. <laughs> <laughs> and then along comes Shanahan, moves him to, to whiteout, and all mm-hmm. of a sudden – you know, everything took off for him and he took it from there, but great athlete, great with the media, mm-hmm. um, and still brings it, you know, at a hundred percent today. He's, he's as good as there, as there is in the booth, in my yeah. opinion. There's, it's funny because speaking of Chris and Titusville astronaut, that, uh, championship game against, um, against, um, Jesuit, was the first play-by-play game I ever got to do for the old ISI Sports Network that Mitchell oh, Mick, that Mitchell Mick had, uh, and and that was a lot of fun. And and so yeah, it was. Um, uh, we interviewed Chris right after the game. He started talking in high school. He was good, but uh, Shanahan said to, anyway long ago when I was talking to him about it. Shanahan told me that he thought two things when he went to Chris because he knew Chris wanted to be a quarterback. And he said to Chris, the reason I'm moving you to wide receivers, there's two reasons. One, you're the fastest guy on the team. And secondly, if I put you at quarterback, you'll be killed before the end of the season. And so <laughs> That is true. He said, so Chris turned and said, okay. <laughs> he had no problem with it. Hey, Jim, that, uh, yeah. story, that, great, that great story that uh, Henderson told about, mm-hmm. uh, you know, about Collins Worth and yeah. Doom Dickey. It, it reminds me, uh, Tim, Shiano's second year. Uh, in in Tampa, um, you know, and and they were like you know three and nine, and it was uh, after a game, and I remember we went up to Darrell uh, Rivas, and you know he was kind of our go-to guy uh, after losses, and uh, they lost, mm-hmm. and we go up to Rivas, and one of the TV guys says to Rivas, uh, Darrell. Uh, do you guys still believe in what the coaches are telling you? And there was a long pause. And Rivas stares right into the camera. And his classic one-word answer, uh, you know, three-word answer, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I remember that. that is a classic. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, you know, if Shiano had any shred of staying, which he didn't, uh, after the Mercer and, the, and you know, the Josh Freeman uh, fiasco, mm-hmm. Uh, he was gone. But, uh, you know, when the Glazers read that quote, that that, that didn't help Greg Shiano's case. Uh, it was over at that point. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. I don't I don't know. Is You know, sometimes you no know, comment is better than, than, than I don't know. Uh, oh, man. I'm sorry. I'm still pissed off at Doug Dickey for Doug's rug and the 175-degree <laughs> down on the field uh, – situation at the at the swamp it's like good god i saw who was it um the quarterback the kid from uh was it uh god johnson or john what was it no i'm forgetting the guy's name i apologize to those of you out there gator fans but i'll look it up anyway uh one of the guys got you know was running away from being tackled and just did a slide you know the slides that we all see quarterbacks do 
did a slide, and all of a sudden he came up and he had no skin on his arm. And it's like, man, get that astroturf out of here. That was uh, uh, the the of all the things Steve Spurrier did when he came to the University of Florida. Uh, mm-hmm. That was the first thing that had to go was Doug's rug, and he. Uh, Spurrier, I don't know if, it, I think it was the condition of him coming there. It was like, okay, we're going to get rid of this stuff and uh, and and put real grass down there. And uh, I think uh, thanks from a grateful nation for that move. It was uh, long overdue. Well, I, I, I believe. How appropriate. The field's named after him. I was just going to say, I believe what uh, Yogi Berra says, and that used to be, if cows ain't going to eat it, I ain't going to play on it. Um, there you go. Anyway, Ira, you were saying? Jim, we uh, yeah, we might as well wrap up uh, college hoops uh, quickly. Sure. Um, without talking about the officials, I'll leave that up to uh, our other two gentlemen. But uh, let me just say that they 9-10, 9-15 tip-off uh, in the East. You know, you got a couple of uh, 12-year-olds that are into basketball. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're asking them to stay up to uh, midnight. And, uh, you know, I understand you know, tradition, it's always been uh, 9-10, but uh, guys, can we, can we move that game up a little, Jim? 9-10's a little rough. I, personally, I'd like to see them uh, move it to Sunday and play it, you know, play it in the afternoon, but we know that television is definitely going to um, rule, and unfortunately, that means that uh, they want primetime. Well, it was less primetime than late night. You know, the the whole argument is that the East Coast time zone is is basically sacrificed. It's collateral damage so that the other three, three time zones can uh, can get more primetime exposure. But I agree, man. That was I stayed up till the end. Uh, I'm not quite sure how. Maybe it was because the game was close, even though it wasn't particularly aesthetically compelling. But uh, it's. It's crazy. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. The World Series, remember, that was one of the great arguments uh, for the reason World Series ratings were plummeting mm-hmm. uh, for years was that the games were starting too late, and baseball can, as we all know, can go on forever. And does. And, and, do, and frequently does. Uh, it was routine for World Series games to end not just after midnight, sometimes well after midnight. and and that wasn't the occasional 15 inning game. That was, you know, the, you know, pretty much the case on every game they played. And mm-hmm. baseball finally addressed that. And lo and behold, people are watching the World Series again. The, the numbers are up. So I think the NCAA would do would do well to to say, hey, wait a minute, let's uh, let's take a look at this. But probably not going to happen because you know what. The ratings Monday night were were strong. People yeah. did stay up, and uh, I don't think they're worried particularly about a few sleepy-eyed people on the East Coast. Well, I think this speaks to something people have said about the NCAA basketball tournament for a very long time, and that's the first weekend is really the most compelling part of the tournament. It's great to see the championship, the best teams make the Final Four, Gonzaga finally had their run, North Carolina won again. They have great players and they're well-coached teams, but we all really love that first weekend. There are games on from noon till the next day. 
And as long as that's in place, then so long as the Final Four doesn't plummet in ratings, I think everyone's fine with it because really what we're watching for is that first weekend and then everything else on top of that's gravy. There's so much money in that that why not? Well, and and the the money and all of that uh, means constant commercial interruptions. And that destroyed any flow of the championship game. It, it's like every time you turn around, you know, there's a couple more minutes of commercials and you're going, can we please, you know, you're looking at the watch, it's 1130, can we please hurry this thing up? And, and um, you add to that a game that we're the, the, the winning team now, the winning team, North Carolina, hit 15% of its three-point attempts. That was bad, but can you make some free throws? They certainly had enough opportunities. There were 52 free throws between uh, North Carolina and Gonzaga. North Carolina hits 58% of the free throws, 58%. And a lot of turnovers, a lot of just not, uh, I'm sure Gonzaga right now feels like, man, that, that was our opportunity and we, and we threw it away. And North Carolina, you know, when they when Roy Williams gets back and shuts the door on the film room, is probably sitting there going, "How in the world did we pull this off?" But uh, you know, there was a lot of dispute, a lot of uh, angst about the officiating, and I think that was well deserved. <laughs> the officiating was terrible, uh, way too whistle happy, and it ruined the game. It just ruined it for. Unless you had a rooting interest. Ruined it. You know, we should take time for just a second and give a shout out to South Carolina on the women's side. Um, That was, um, you know, that was pretty amazing what went on uh, with the SEC specifically and how, um, you know, how the dynasty that is UConn came uh, tumbling down just at least for one weekend uh, and uh, that a national championship, you know, Ends up going to another state, another state other than Connecticut, uh, which in and to itself is pretty amazing. But uh, and that coach, uh, that coach handled himself with class, Jim. Mm-hmm. He did. Um, mm-hmm. That smile. Did you see that smile at Oriana? That was, that was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. Um, and that smile also says, "Look out, everybody, because we're gonna we're gonna <laughs> kick your butts all, all all year long next year." Starting another hundred right here, baby. Like, yeah. Right. You here know, right and, and if if um, if the networks had a had any clue about this, they would immediately try to schedule a, a uh, South Carolina UConn game for uh, to to tip off the women's basketball season because uh, I'd watch and. Uh, no disrespect to Mississippi State uh, intended at all. What what a great, great, great moment for them. But, you know, to ask you to come back right after that and play a terrific team in Carolina, I don't think anybody was really surprised that, uh, that uh, Mississippi State was out of gas in that game. And, uh, you know, great job by them. Uh, tremendous moment. And that raises the question, guys. I'll throw it out to you. Is this tournament more noteworthy for Mississippi State beating UConn or for South Carolina winning the championship? I think they go hand in hand. That UConn didn't win 
speaks a lot to, well, I think some people that might have been interested were less interested by the supposed foregone conclusion that was Connecticut. It's hard to watch a sporting event if you're almost positive how it's going to turn out. So I think that was a problem. And not only did Mississippi State beat Connecticut, they didn't beat them just because of a last-second shot. They played an excellent game just to keep it close so they could win on that shot. So they really they earned that win in a game that if you watched and had no idea who the two teams were, you might have walked away thinking they were actually the better team. So that was fantastic that it wasn't just a fluke victory. It wasn't that UConn was off that night or they just didn't have things going right for them. It was a great game. And to see South Carolina win it, they've been in the mix for a long time, and they had walked away with so little in the past that it really helps the game because women's basketball has been dominated by so few schools and now really just one. And the more competition, the more interest it's going to bring. So I think the story of the tournament is that there are other teams in it in general. Hey, Jim, uh, Jim, am I the only guy that felt a little sorry for that guy, that that big lumbering guy, Karnowski, Monday night? Because, uh, boy, he he was in the battle of the land of the Giants there. And, boy, North Carolina with all that height. Meeks is a heck of a player. Um, boy, they, they just wear you down, the Tar Heels. Like Joe, Joe said, they didn't play particularly well, North Carolina. No, but um, you, you're, you, Ira, you bring up a good point. I mean, there's this guy banging around, right? Every time he goes banging around, he's knocking down or knocking around a McDonald's, you know, All-American. I mean, it's like, you know, he, he's he's playing the post against three guys, all of whom, you know, were number one, number two, you know, in the in the rivals' ratings. I mean, you know, it's uh, they got guys on the bench that are. Three and four star guys. <laughs> um, I just wish it was a better game. Joe's right. Uh, Joe, you get my kudos for uh, hanging with it. Um, what time yeah. did that game end, Joe? Uh, it, it was yeah. It was it was right at it was. If it wasn't midnight, it was close. It was too um, close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to back up for just a second. Um, oh, go ahead. The, to talk about UConn uh, women basketball. Okay. Sure. I think I think that this was one of the best. Them losing was one of the best things that could have happened to women's college basketball. And uh, nothing against. I, I admire UConn. I I think Gina Oriema is one of the towering figures uh, in in basketball. Period. Forget women's basketball. I think he's he's right up there with uh, John with John Wooden, Wooden yeah. as far as I'm concerned. But they, there's such a thing as being too good, and I, I just did the numbers on this, I because it, it made me curious. The University of South Florida women's basketball team is very good. They are they're ranked. They 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 finished second in the American Conference to uh, UConn. They seems like they do that every year. They're an NCAA team. They're twenty twenty some wins this year. They played UConn three times this year. The combined total was UConn 298 to 149. Twice, UConn, UConn beat USF 
a very and this is not USF Junior College here. This is a, a good Division One basketball team. They beat USF 102 to 37, 96 to 68, and in the American Conference Championship game, 100 to 44. Now, ooh, that's not good for the overall health of women's basketball. What makes March Madness on the men's side what it is? It's the idea that a Winthrop can come in and beat a Notre Dame like they did one year, or that uh, Florida Gulf teams, Coast. Yeah. Florida Gulf Coast. All the you're not going to see that in women's basketball at this point because there's UConn, there's a handful of other teams underneath them. Um, there was a great stat uh, that. I can't remember the exact year, but it was. It, it, I think it, it dates back to maybe 2006, if not before, that this was the first time that either UConn, Notre Dame, or Tennessee women were not in the Final Four, uh, at least one of those teams. And you, you got, it's got to get better top to bottom. You know, you, uh, the USFs of this world um, – you have got to be able to say, you know what, we can look UConn in the eye and beat them because at a certain point, it just, it, it, it becomes bad for the overall health of the sport. And you know who would be the first to agree on that would be Gino Oriema, I think. I think you're right. You know, just run real quick to your point that given those stats on, especially that last one, was it 100 to 44? Hundred the... to forty-four, and the first one was a hundred and two to thirty-seven. Oh God! Um, there was a game when Jerry Rice was in college at um, Mississippi Valley, Valley State, Valley. Yep. and um, I was looking at the stats on it. I was sitting in the office, and I called a coach at Mississippi Valley State, and I asked him the game. The score was eighty-one to three. They beat somebody, 81-3. to three. And I got a hold of the coach, and I asked him, I said, Coach, just, um, you know, just out of curiosity, how did that happen? He goes, well, we scored every time we had the ball, and we scored every time they had the ball. Um, so that, was, <laughs> that pretty much, you know, if you score every time you have the ball and every time they have the ball, then yeah, you're going you're gonna to win. But, um, yeah, that kind of puts a bow on it in one way or another. Yeah, Joe's Joe's stats definitely put a bow on it. Guys, okay, we'll wrap it up here. Final thoughts, one quick final little piece of business here uh, for those wanting to know. um, Amazon and Amazon Prime will be the home of Thursday Night Football this coming fall. They made a one-year agreement for approximately $50 million, which is five times what Twitter paid for it for last year. So if you want to watch... Um, Thursday night football, you must be an Amazon Prime uh, member. And if you are, then you got no worries about it. It's 99 bucks. So I personally am an Amazon Prime member and, and more than happy to have it. But anyway, $50 million from Amazon Prime got the rights for Thursday night football over Twitter, which did not um, fare all that well as, uh, as the host for streaming the um, – the Thursday night games on, um, you know, on NFL, on CBS, and on NBC. I'm sorry. Anyway, back to final call, guys. Any final thoughts on um, 
on uh, either football's new um, dream team of Nance and Romo or, or anything that you might wish to chat about. Let's go with uh, Tim. We'll start with you and then we'll move down to Joe and Ira. Well, the Masters starts Thursday, and as golf's first major, it's really the the unique thing about the Masters is that at this point, it's been on the same course for so long, and it's a course that suits a certain kind of game that a lot of the top pros have at this point. It's really a battle of the absolute top pros of the top pros. And that's why if I were asked for a pick for someone who you might not be thinking about, it's Justin Thomas, because I don't think there's anyone out there that's having a better 2017 in the golf world than Justin Thomas. He shot a 59 earlier this year. He's won three tournaments. He, you might not have heard of him because he hadn't been that great until this year, but he is part of that same class of guys like Jordan Spieth, and he hangs out with those very same guys. He's part of that crowd, and so far everyone in that crowd has become a very tough out at the top of majors. So I think maybe it's Justin Thomas's turn, and he's one of the last pairings on Thursday. So if you're watching the Masters, watch out for Justin Thomas. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Wrights Sports. Joseph. Well, I'll keep with the golf theme, but I'm going to back up a little bit to uh, the situation last week on the LPGA Tour where Lexi Thompson was, Don't get was me given, started. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Uh, most of our listeners would know the story. She was given a four-shot penalty. cost her uh, a major the tournament. The tournament, you know, and, and it's all because a viewer called in and noted that she had, her her ball had moved maybe a half an inch, inch. Yeah. You know, and the, that is wrong on so many different levels that I don't want to, we'd have, we could do a whole podcast on that, but it's like, is that what we've become? Is these these little nerds sitting out there with their 800 inch ultra high def TVs going, aha, you know, gotcha. And where is the common sense with the LPGA leaders to go get over it? You know, it, there was no intent there. There, it was, it, it's just, Hey Joe, it yes. happens in the PGA too. So it's not just yes, it the does. LPGA. Yes, it does. And and I, I understand the golf nerds are going to go. You know, we are the sport of honor, and we do this and we do that. You know, there is a line between what she did and what the intent of those rules are. And the LPGA crossed it, and they ought to be ashamed of themselves. And I thought Lexi Thompson handled it as well as anybody could, mm-hmm. you know, um, thank goodness it wasn't John Daly or somebody like that, or, or there, somebody that had a five iron wrapped around their throat, but um, bad, 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 bad. And on that cheery note, you can find me on Twitter at the initial J Henderson Tampa, T-A-M-P-A. Have a nice day. All right, Ira. Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at iCalvin76. Uh, just a quick uh, reflection on the start of the baseball season, uh, gentlemen. Uh, look, 
Clayton Kershaw is the best pitcher in baseball. I'm not going to dispute that. His numbers rank with, you know, the Walter Johnsons of the world. Uh, he might be better than Sandy Koufax, and I can't believe I'm saying that. Uh, Bump, uh, Madison Bumgarner may be the best clutch pitcher in baseball. but Maybe I the best hitter, to, uh, too. Yes, and a heck of a hitter. But I want to mention a guy on the New York Mets who I think is coming on very, very fast. Uh, in a year or two, he might be the guy. Uh, his name, they call him Thor. His name's uh, Noah Syndergaard. He, um, he's sensational. Uh, we've heard a lot about these Met pitchers. They get hurt a lot. They haven't really done anything. This guy's the real deal. You get a chance to watch him this year. Um, keep a laser focus. His, his stuff is fantastic. Uh, the Mets are going to ride him and uh, some of these young pitchers a long way. Noah Syndergaard. Gentlemen, I can't spell his name, but I know he's damn good. Well, spelling doesn't count here, so you don't have to worry about it. Um, isn't Syndergaard from Stetson? I don't. I don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, I don't know. But they call they call him Thor, Jimmy. Right. That, that's his nickname. No, I've I've uh, unfortunately I've seen I, unfortunately I've seen uh, as a Nationals fan up close and personal I have seen Noah Syndergaard pitch, and uh, he can throw. There isn't any question about that. Uh, one last final thought. Uh, having to do with the Masters, and that is, you can still get for two dollars and fifty cents at the Masters a glass of arm of lemonade and a pimento loaf sandwich. So if you happen to be in Augusta this weekend, <laughs> you'd be hard pressed to spend twenty bucks on uh, on your um, on your food during uh, watching because you're a patron. You're not a uh, a uh, a spectator at uh, at the Masters, but it's always interesting. It's a throwback into time, and I'm not sure it's a throwback into the best part of time, but it is indeed <laughs> a throwback into time. So, as Jim Nance, our good friend who we started this process with so many minutes ago, would say, it's a tradition like no other, the Masters. That brings to an end yet another edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast, and we want you to listen to us every week, so all you have to do it's free. Go to iTunes and find us there. Go to the Google Play Store and download us there. Or by all means, Blog Talk Radio, not a problem. All you have to do is like us there. Automatically, you'll get it sent to your email box every week. You won't even have to do anything. So by all means, iTunes, Google Play, or Blog Talk Radio, and you can get Sunshine Boys Podcast, all right? So, for Tim Williams in Boston, and for the Sunshine Boys themselves, Joe Henderson and Ira Kaufman, I'm Jim Williams. Hope you enjoyed this show, and we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. 